If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is Randy Andrews. This week I have Tim Benson with me as we review the original King Kong from 1933. Today, Skull Island comes out to theaters and we'll talk about the original Max Steiner album and the comparison of how the myth of King Kong has changed over the years. Today on Soundtrack Alley. Glad to have you on the show again. Hope you're doing well. Yeah. King Kong. I know. Let's get into this movie. You know, when I first was watching it, it's amazing the uh, introduction of the film that it actually has an overture for the beginning of the movie. And it reminded me that Max Steiner, which uh, he did the film Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. And first episode. Yeah, my first yeah. episode of Soundtrack Alley, I have my wife with me, and we talk about that original score. And it really is amazing. He composed three and a half hours worth of music for that movie, and he did the same thing with King Kong. He did a full score for the entire movie, even though not the full score is known um, to be recorded for the film. I mean, you don't get that full score, uh, but he did do it. And I thought that was really, really unique. And, uh, Marion C. Cooper, who had the original vision for the film, uh, was of a giant ape on top of the world's tallest building fighting airplanes. And then he worked backward with the idea that King Kong was that initial idea. And today, Skull Island comes out in theaters. Are you excited for that movie? You know, I didn't think I was, and then I saw the preview, and it's just, um, you know, this, the original King Kong, you go to the island with the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's something that's been missing from a lot of the, or not a lot of the 2005 reboot doesn't really yeah. embrace that, you know, island of monsters. So uh, to see Skull Island, I don't know, it, it kind of snuck up on me. So I'm, I'm definitely going to go see it. Yeah, so. it looks really exciting. And 
you get a much bigger King Kong. Um, But what I really liked about this original King Kong back in 1933, it's a very dark movie. Uh, it is not yeah. not a happy movie. Uh, you get actress Faye Ray, um, and when Marion C. Cooper first was talking to her about King Kong and about uh, what she was going to, who she was going to be in the movie with, he said, "You'll have the tallest, darkest leading man in Hollywood." <laughs> And she thought it was Cary Grant. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. No, I think this is a dark movie. Um, it's pre-code, you know, so there were really no restrictions on what you could do. Yeah. Um, and by 38, so this came out in 33. Mm-hmm. By 38, they'd, they'd put in some things. Codes, <laughs> this is, yep. Yeah, this is one of the movies that. Slipped um, by them. Well, this is one of the reasons they enforce these codes and among other things going on in the world that. Uh, yeah, they did. I mean, there was some pretty brutal stuff in this movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean King the, Kong eats some people. Yeah, he eats some people. Uh, he throws a woman down. Yeah, the brontosaurus attack. Um, there's some definite like sexual overtone where yeah. um, he undresses the the girl and then yep. like snips hey. his fingers. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, so there's there's just. He drops the girl. Or yeah. He drops the, the lady from the from, he pulls her out of the window and yep. drops her. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot has been edited and over changed. the years yep. to put it on TV and stuff like that. So I think um, watching the original, most people aren't really familiar with. Yeah, the, and I don't think people realize the depth of kind of storytelling in this one even though you're not getting a lot of dialogue uh but you're getting the journey yeah you you get them onto that island and their first encounter is with those people that were worshiping king kong as from skull island Mm -hmm. and uh i thought it was just amazing this is some of the first work that you see of ray harryhausen yeah and it was phenomenal for the time. And he did a really excellent job animating the characters that he needed to. The T-Rex, the Stegosaurus, the Brontosaurus, the, you know, King Kong himself. And each night they had to take off the pieces of fur, which yeah. was like rabbit fur and other types of fur that they used for King Kong himself. And, uh, they had to re like align the metal skeleton that they used yeah, for the, totally. the character. Yeah. I thought that was really unique. Um, yeah, I think the, I mean, there's, you talked about going backwards. There's the city scene or there's the city part of the movie. And then there's the jungle part mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, you know, the movie had two directors to make those two distinct things. Yeah. You know, this is an era where the producer was also the director a lot of times and for so for him to get the budget to to bring in another director um and split the movie up gives it that different feel mm-hmm. so yeah yeah and you know even looking at a lot of the sets and just the miniatures that were used they used like combination of metal models and even real plants yeah so you know they used a lot of things that looked authentic 
because it really was. Um, one day during the filming, a flower on the miniature set bloomed without anyone noticing, and the error in continuity wasn't even noticed until the film was developed and shown. And while Kong moved, the time-lapse effect showed the flower coming into full bloom, and an entire day of animation was lost <laughs> because of that one aspect that they had not noticed. Yeah. And, uh... There's even scenes cut, like we talked about, with this film being as dark as it was, and that it had, the, it didn't have the code that later movies had, like it talked about that King Kong actually was chewing on natives on the island, mm -hmm. um, two scenes where Kong squashes a native with his giant foot the brontosaurus biting and throwing the men in the water, Kong putting a New Yorker in his mouth and then throwing him down to the ground, a scene where Kong climbs the building, pulls the sleeping woman out, examines her, and then he he finds that it's not the Andaro character. Awesome. He just tosses her down, <laughs> and she falls to her yeah. doom. And it's, you know, the scene is to where it's just black. To where she's un underneath her is you know, all you see is black, but yeah, it's very effective. Yeah. So there were many scenes that were just taken out, and then also there's a scene that was never put into the film with the spider pit sequence. Yeah, it wasn't even put into that 1933 film, even though Peter Jackson he recreated that very scene he loves his spiders yeah know? so <laughs> um see i mean this the king kong 33 it was then censored and censored and censored um and then of course they they remade it in 76 oh yeah um, yep and then peter jackson remakes it again in 2005 um when was the first time you saw the 33 version uh when I was probably 17. Okay, so you, you probably saw the censored and cut. I saw it um, probably on, I saw it on, on television. TV, yeah. yeah, and it was, I believe it was on, I think it was on sci-fi. Okay. At the time. So you may have gotten a couple scenes. Yeah. You know, yeah, same, exact same here. So, you know, you see it on TV. I don't know that I'd ever sat down and watched it start to finish. Yeah. Until recently, you know, just now. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's so it's interesting how we all grew up on a, a different version of it, yeah. different scenes and different cuts and um, or and see, not personally, even... I hadn't ever seen the 1976 version. Yeah, I never saw that one. Yeah. I've seen pictures. Oh yeah, of Jessica to... Lange being in it, and you know the different uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, he yeah, was in early it. Early Jeff Bridges. And uh, I mean, it's just a probably a totally different movie because yeah. of how even they had censored the sequences of where Kong peels off their clothes. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, I went to, I went to uh, buy the movie to watch it for this. And I went up to the counter. I couldn't find it. So I went to this, I went to this little shop and I went to the counter and I said, okay, I'm looking for the original King Kong. And he's like, Oh God, I just got it in. He kind of got excited and he grabs it and he hands it to me. I was like, no, I was, I was looking for the, the original 1933 and i <laughs> he had given me the 76 oh, color yeah. and like yeah it, like in his mind that is the original, the original yeah. yeah so um i think it's interesting how 
how many people associate it with such different versions of yeah. this movie. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's amazing that it's stuck around. 2005, probably the first time anyone, a lot of people saw a King Kong. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Skull Island does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not really a, a sequel to any direct no, sequel or anything. It's, it's just a movie. It's um, a standalone movie in yeah. a way because you don't, I mean, King Kong doesn't die. Yeah. No, he never so, dies. Even if he dies, you just make another one. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what they're, I don't know if they're trying to set up a, I mean, the, there's, you know, the fan rumors that they're trying to set up this Godzilla King Kong shared universe. Yeah. Everyone wants a shared universe. Apparently. Um, to do Godzilla universe. King Kong. Yeah. Um, Crossover. At some point. And yeah. I don't know. That's okay. I mean, they did a, back in, I believe, the 40s or 50s, mm-hmm. they did a King Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, yeah. And Japan did several sequels yep. with Godzilla and well, King Kong. There's yeah. like a hundred Godzilla movies. And there's like, yeah. there are um, the the Return of King Kong, the Son of King Kong. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? No, but I've heard, I've heard it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. According to my notes, it was even the worst made sequel of a King Kong movie. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. They, they wanted to pretty much shove it under the rug. It just was amazing. It was interesting that there was a Laserdisc edition of the movie. Yeah. And it was the first ever with audio commentary. Okay. I thought hmm. that was really interesting. Um, even Marion C. Cooper, who was the producer, producer and director, director. Yeah. as well as Ernest Shodsack, um, they had been wrestlers. And so they were acting out scenes for the movie to be able to have Ray Harryhausen. For like storyboard. For yeah. the storyboard to have the characters wrestle uh, with each other. And I thought it was interesting also that King Kong doesn't really appear until 47 minutes into the movie. Yeah, which is typical monster movie no the, yeah. the fact they're wrestlers i think it brings a different i mean definitely a cool little fact um you know once you say that you start thinking about all the like fight scenes differently mm-hmm. and how how well those two guys would have been able to choreograph and i mean at the time this is you didn't hire a fight choreographer as the yeah. director um yeah who had to just figure it out so and i thought that was really uh good mm-hmm. um i thought it was ironic in a way that when the actress faye ray died um king kong was actually playing on a television in the emergency room uh <laughs> when she had died and uh it was one of the most famous films that she was oh, in yeah. so i thought that was kind of funny but uh some of the Jungle scenes were filmed on the same set as another movie that was filmed in 1932, The Most Dangerous Game. So when it comes down to the filming, um, of course, this movie is dated because it was in 1933. Yeah, it was black and white, but they had they had sound. They had music. They had a pretty good transition of audio in the film yeah um even though you know you can definitely tell like when they're looking at the stegosaurus 
they're walking by it. And you can tell it's a screen yeah. that they're looking at, but it makes it seem like this giant stegosaurus is there, even though they're just walking and they're probably just standing right in front of a screen. Yeah, yeah. In modern eyes, you can see the special effects, um, but at the time, it was fantastic. So. Yeah. Um, it's been said that it was one of the first Hollywood films to use a full symphonic musical score yeah um it's as it's really memorable and even effective uh some of the some of them were claiming the same about bird of paradise that was released earlier but um king kong was considered the most memorable for filming and max steiner uh who had went on to do the amazing piece of Gone with the Wind. He had even done Casablanca with um <laughs> with uh what is his name? I can't think of his name right now. Uh, director? Oh, no, oh. no, the uh, actor. Um <laughs> he did the multi yeah, I'll figure it out. Uh anyway, he Max Steiner was a visionary for a forward thinking film like he he was really well into viewing the whole movie experience as a theatrical expansion of this universe and this whole idea of the music being a real almost a character and maybe we'll never know but maybe John Williams had an idea of getting some of his using a music as a character really got that from max steiner who knows i think as the technology improved to be able to meld uh, music film dialogue all of the elements that go into a movie technology allows them to get better and better it it makes sense that the music would evolve and and improve Uh, michael curtis uh no director oh the, the director yeah but Humphrey Bogart. That's who I was thinking of. Oh. Humphrey Bogart. Oh, yeah. The star of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But yeah, um, I thought it was interesting also that uh, Faye Ray had claimed that she personally insisted that her character be blonde and chose her wig um, (laughs) specifically for the movie. I thought it was just really interesting. It's like, they probably had a certain amount of dyeing that they could do to hair back then as yeah. well. I think that's, you hear that, uh, it's pretty common with not just actors and actresses then, but I mean, still today, like they understood that they were going to have this box office release and yeah. they were, it was a make or break deal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it had done $90,000 at the box office and yeah. that was the biggest at the time, yeah. At the time, really yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like, um, there's a lot of stories about you know Marilyn Monroe, like all of these classic um, actors, actresses put a lot of work into their like choosing the appearance. And I'm not talking like they groomed themselves, but they made very strong, deliberate choices on um, the cut of the suit that they were always going to wear, yeah. or the the color of their hair that they were always going to have. And um, a lot of actresses would go with a very certain style of like wig Mm -hmm. um, to help make them more 
memorable from one movie to the next. So yeah, uh, that's a really you know interesting piece of information because you know you wouldn't think of that. You wouldn't really think of that. Um, what did you think of like the T Rex hissing in the movie? Uh, it was a combination of a puma scream and a high compression air. See, um, I was thinking some. I I thought train. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, I then, I love those stories about the uh, sound effect guys who go out and like invent their own sounds. Yeah. Like, and they're like, oh yeah, this was a tinker toy and a a glass I broke. You know, like what? <laughs> how did you do that? Like, how did you think? Okay, I need to figure out how to make up the effect for a new jet engine, and you find a stick and some glue. <laughs> like, uh, I love those stories. Oh yeah, well, and then they talked about the brontosaurus. Um, it was created by grunting into a double-chambered gourd. Mm. It's like, well, yeah, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, I think they if just it works. Around <laughs> yeah, they they actually probably had a whole bunch of fun with that. Um, I really like the fact that some of the scenes with the Empire State Building, even though that takes place almost at the very end of the movie, uh, that version of the Empire State Building was as it was in the 1950s with its TV antenna. And in other scenes, as part of the Hollywood set, um, the New York skyline even was added. And so the only actual on-location filming was done 19 years later after the film's release. And I I was like, wow, that's really different. Yeah, they, they released versions. And I know 38's the one that stands out for me, um, but they released it every five or six years. They released a new version in yeah. theaters. Um as as word of mouth traveled so much, you know, it's 1933, where word of mouth traveled slower and most theaters didn't get movie. You know, like King Kong came out, that meant it came out in New York. Yeah. You know, it took six months to get to Chicago. To other places, took, yeah. You know, like, because it was knows? expensive yeah. to ship those the those filming reels um, to other a movie places. To get to like Nebraska, like the movie had to be big. Yeah. For them to even bother getting it all the way here. So if they're going to do another expanded distribution, they definitely went in and added stuff, cut stuff, you know, all the censorship. So yeah, it was, you know, it was a totally different process of how they do a movie now, because it's not, it's not like it was. Yeah. Like it's very inexpensive to get movies from city to city and almost no time at all on the same day that the movie releases. It's like, that's, you know, that's really impressive now. But back then, it was very difficult to get that. It had to be worth the money. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes certain areas didn't have the money. Yeah. So I I really looked at a lot of the stop motion in this film and just thought about uh, the different movies that I've seen that had the Ray Harryhausen look or the touch because of looking at, you know, the Lost World, one of the original Mm -hmm. Lost World movies that they had made or Journey to the Center of the Earth or um, even 
later movies like Clash of the Titans. Yeah, Jason Argonauts. Yeah. And, yeah, all and those. Those were just classic films. Sinbad. Yeah. Eye of the Tiger or uh, The Golden Voyage. These are movies that Ray Harryhausen had great experience dealing with these models and then you look at the filming and it's like was that really a model because he spent so much time just working on those intricate models and making them move so well and sure you can tell it's dated because of the way king kong would move but it had limited mobility yeah but it was done really well i think this is a movie where every time they went to a new location it was like a new genre of film Mm -hmm. you know there's the jungle the natives who are worshiping king kong there's the dinosaurs and the stop motion and then there's the transport of king kong and the capture of king kong and then the release and the circus and then the empire state like every single one of those was like a whole new movie yeah because, and it was like for me watching it now it's kind of jarring you're mm-hmm. like oh okay episode two <laughs> yeah you know, um they could almost because, show it in five parts yeah, they or did six parts so many different things in this movie uh that it felt that way that it felt like you were getting a new type of movie every 20 minutes so. mm-hmm. because they had to switch and the editing process was yeah. probably a lot different from what it is. Well, it's more, yeah, it's definitely now. more difficult yeah. um, logistically to pull off a movie. It's it's changed, and that's it's not a, I guess it's not a criticism of the movie. I think it's an accomplishment that they were able to bring in so many different special effects masters mm-hmm. to pull off all these different types of movie. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, and when I had introduced today's episode that you know we were gonna talk about skull island that it does come out today and we're very excited for that what do you think about the whole myth of king kong how do you think it's changed over the years i think the back then it was it was king kong and as as you've gotten farther and farther till today it the importance falls more on the like the lore behind King Kong. You mm-hmm. start to focus more on the people worshiping him. Yeah. And like or the mutation that made him or the you start like looking at the backstory. The mm-hmm. backstory is the important part. Um like the origin of King Kong becomes the important part and the Kong Kong himself becomes the given. Yeah. Um so they used to, that's, I mean, the movie is called Skull Island. It's not just about King, King Kong. Kong. It's about all the stuff going on, all the stuff that leads to King Kong. Um, and I think that's that's just what you get when you have a known entity. So Yeah, and I think it's interesting with seeing the trailer for this new movie, Skull Island, um, the fact that they have modern helicopters in it. Yeah. It shows that it's a very modern story. Yeah, it's set in present day. But it's still got the mythology of this giant gorilla living on this island with monsters and dinosaurs and different things. So um, it makes for a very different dynamic from the original idea of how you would have a giant gorilla, um, you know, attacking a city. Yeah. So... um, 
there's, you know, there's a lot of things that we could go into. I mean, some of my notes were talking about the clothing of different characters and how they chose it. And uh, some of these elements don't really matter. Like, you know, you really look at the, the filming. It was kind of jarring, like you said, um, between different scenes. But uh, when you look at the music and the sound, the sound and the music are actually two of the highest qualities for this movie. Yeah, I mean, this movie put Max Steiner on. I mean, he on became a celebrity yeah. overnight the, yeah. in a way that even the actors and actresses, like, they didn't have that kind of impact. He was immediately the biggest star from this whole movie other yeah. than kong himself well yeah yeah and i mean sure they were probably when the movie came out they were probably impressed by the movie itself because they'd never seen anything like it before but i think what added to that was the max steiner score um when i was looking up information regarding max steiner and the king kong score itself to create that score, Steiner had used an orchestra of 46 players. Yeah. <laughs> it still astounds me when Craig Sappen was talking about an 80-piece yeah. orchestra. Um, it was considered one of the largest orchestras for the day, back in 33, And it was accomplished by adding Kong in post-production. You know, to, to see the film by also scoring it at the same time. And um, the budget for the orchestra was $50,000. That's, That's pretty high for, back yeah. in 1933. Um, and it a lot of it was paid for by the director. Yeah. And Which was common at that, in the, that. I mean, he was the producer and director. Yeah. Know, so. And he was really convinced of the importance of Steiner producing this epic score. Yeah. And it was a real contrast uh, because he wanted to use music that had been composed, but Steiner, he composed a new score. Yeah. And it really brought out a, a lot of elements to the film. You get this drama, you get the action, you get... Even the overture at the very beginning, even Let's, though the yeah. film is not really that long, it's not even two hours long. No. And but yet you get this beautiful scoring. Um, I mean, you get that beginning overture too. Well, at the time, um, I mean, you they had to put all the credits at the beginning, mm -hmm. and so that opening music was was very important. I mean, Max Steiner gets it's a huge credit. Yeah. Um, and not, I mean, not just for this movie, almost every movie with that opening music and credits, um, the composer is a pretty high level name for that. Yeah. Um, and so it just goes to show how much, how much the music was important, um, mm -hmm. how much, you know, it's for the day that was, that was pop rock, you know, yeah. it's classical music. That's what people listen to. Mm -hmm. uh, so it'd be like going into a movie now. And opening with, you know, the, not the Beastie Boys, but, you know, like the start, the new Star Trek movie with Beastie Boys, yeah. Sabotage song. Mm -hmm. Like, that was, like, I can name that for the rest of my life. Yeah. But in 1933, that's how people that's walked out of King Kong. They're like, oh, that Max Steiner song at the beginning. 
Oh, which is amazing. hard to imagine. Yeah. It's hard to think about that in yeah. those terms, but that's the comparison. So. And and really, it's it's really interesting, though, also, when you look back at a movie as old as this movie is, you look at the scoring, you look at the, the composer, and then you compare it to some modern soundtracks now, there's a big difference. Like, you look at some of these films that are action movies and you've got a chaotic, uh, almost frenetic um, score that's so busy. It's got so many elements of different instruments in it that you can't keep track of each piece of music. And when you boil it down to a very simple scoring, it was really impressive. So I, I just, I can't say enough about the score um, because of how Max Steiner used it uh, to yield even elements of Beethoven and uh, Strauss and uh, different, different pieces. Um, there's plenty to enjoy yeah. for the score. Well, I mean, he's, I mean, he's clearly uh, a legend. I mean, go on to do Gone with the Winds. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, yeah, so... Yeah, that opening score, um, it really sets the tone. I mean, it, it is a theme yeah. you know, for the whole movie. Yeah. So. so that's what I'd like to get into. Um, we don't have too much more to be able to talk about this no, movie. No, let's get into the music. It's, um, yeah. This is, I mean, it really is a character in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first cue I have is the main title yeah. for King Kong. And it's a beautiful in its orchestral form. Uh, Max Steiner, he does his absolute best in really bringing this movie to its epic scale. I mean, it really draws uh, on the crowd, and many of the themes in the score really harken back to this very theme. So um, let's play the main title.
All right, next, I'd like to play uh, the next fantastic cue that we have, um, The Entrance of Kong, uh, The Sailors, and The Stegosaurus. Now, this gives you the heightened feel that Kong isn't one to be messed with. No. <laughs> uh, you get him arriving, you get his presence on screen, um, he's larger than life, he's even worshipped by these natives on this island. They're goofy headdresses yeah. that they had, but he was feared too. And so they felt that they well, needed clearly, to provide yeah. a sacrifice. Yeah, he eats people. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the uh the entrance of Kong, like it gets it gets big. You yeah, know, you get you get a lot of uh, percussion. Um and I mean it's an entrance. Yeah. You know, and you've waited forty five minutes for this. To see the so, actual King Kong. So yeah, and the music definitely gets you just you know it's coming mm -hmm. you, you know like they he built up a few times prior to this mm -hmm. but this time it's like oh nope here we go yeah. like everybody stops to pay a little bit closer attention you sit back a little yeah and you know kong is about to show up yeah so it's really exciting so let's go ahead and play the entrance of kong the sailors and stegosaurus
right, so next I've got um, the King Kong March. Uh, the fanfare is one through three, which is really interesting for this film. And then finally, Kong Escapes for this set. I've got one more set of cues I'd like to play for our episode. But this gives us a feeling of the true spectacle of New York City yeah. at the time. Um, Kong isn't revealed to the public right away. I mean, he's revealed by opening Posters up these current yeah. these curtains, and you see him chained to this giant piece of something. Yeah. It looks like metal or blocks of wood or something, but uh, it's really revealed to uh, show the crowd that's viewing this, and then we see the true destruction yeah. of what King Kong is capable of. Uh, what did you think of this? I these? think um, it, it doesn't surprise me that um, the producer um, you know, chose the composer very carefully, paid him, you know, and pl placed such a, a high budget for this, because when you reveal Kong, he doesn't have a lot of there's no, there's not a lot of like screaming. There's not, he really lets the music scream for the audience. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought that was fun to hear the music just scream. Um, yeah. You know, you get that high flute, you know, in there. So, and then the destruction, it's, you know, you, it gets fast. And, yeah. And it goes and goes and goes. So, yeah, the fun, fun parts of the movie. Um, and this is right before he starts eating people, really. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and play those three cues.
So finally, we've come down to another ending of our episode. Uh, we're both probably looking forward to seeing Skull mm-hmm. Island. Yeah. Uh, this final cue really highlights how tragic this movie is. That if ones that landed on Sky Skull Island would have just left Kong alone uh, or where he was, he would have survived. It wouldn't have plummeted to his death. Uh, truly, as the final lines of the movie, truly beauty killed the beast. Yeah. Uh, for his love was great for her and it was divine for him and sadly the film ends tragically because you actually feel sorry for King Kong. Well, yeah. Um, But the music of the finale brings out all the action for the film to a screeching halt and it builds and builds until the ending of where Kong falls to his death. Uh, What are your thoughts regarding this? You know, modern... Modern eyes, you sympathize with Kong a lot. You know, at the time, he, he was a giant monster. Like, mm-hmm. nobody cares if he dies. Um, doing the ending like that and cueing it, the music especially, got challenged by mm-hmm. the studio. Like, they, they didn't want that that sad, dramatic ending. They wanted more of a triumph over, over this monster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it harkens back to where that original vision was. Um, and to get the original writer, the producers, directors, and to get the composer to all get get behind them on the same page, you know, and, yeah. And you know, clearly they they sympathize with the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took a risk. Yeah, they. Did. I mean, it was the audiences should have reacted outraged. The way they did. Well, yeah. they they should have been angry that they they cued it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It was it was kind of a shifting moment in um, in film in how they portray things, and mm-hmm. you saw that pretty quickly after King Kong when you started to get into like the Draculas and the Frankenstein, you know, Universal yeah. monsters, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. where you start to humanize those monsters. So, mm-hmm. so it's a really interesting dynamic of how even film scoring and the ending of the film change you know you you change the film or you look more at the characters rather than the monster yep and uh so since we're coming to an end of the episode it's been great to talk about the original king kong we've seen its different iterations throughout the years uh with skull island coming out today we can appreciate it even more and so next uh so until next week let's hear the finale and look forward to the next few weeks as I hearken back to a few favorites. And then at the end of March, um, I might be having Eric Woods on with me uh, as we're going to be talking about Ghosts in the Shell yeah. as it comes out March 31st. So that'll be really enjoyable. So I'd like you to enjoy the finale and happy listening.
thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.